this is a place where seekers talk about their experience in starting purpose-driven organizations. We'll be drilling in on mindset. We'll be drilling in on actionable tactics. Today, I'm really glad that I have my friend Andrew Gottlieb here with us. He is the founder of No Typical Moments. His company supports authors and thought leaders in selling their educational products through digital marketing. And his agency has worked with brands such as Eckhart Tolle, Lisa Nichols, Mama Gina's School of Woman, Womanly Arts, and Ken Blanchard. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for inviting me on. So as someone who empowers authors and thought leaders to build their brands through digital marketing, I am very curious on how you select them. Like when you see a potential client coming to you and say, hey, I aspire to be a thought leader or I am a thought leader, what are some of the selection criteria from your point of view? Yeah. So I'd say one of the big things is, you know, I've used the word author in the sense of, I don't necessarily want to be marketing and helping to build a brand of social media influencers who are, you know, just doing affiliate sales for like skincare products. So it's a lot about having individuals who have an expertise in a couple of domains. So really where we thrive the best as an organization is supporting authors who are speaking about uh, business personal development, spirituality, and health and wellness. So there's from a values aligned standpoint and kind of the vertical you fall in, we analyze. And then whenever someone is introduced to the brand, a lot of times we're brought into client projects because of referrals. We have a new client intake form on our website. So this allows us to drill a lot deeper into the practicality of their business model to see if they're actually ready for digital marketing. So we'll go through some questions ranging from what do your assets look like with your fan page sizes, your email list, website traffic, past experience of campaigns, revenue of the organization. Do you have a point of contact we'll be working with? So that gives me a lot of insight into structurally where the company's at. And if I actually think a campaign will uh, succeed or not. So for instance, after we think Pause for just a moment because you, you sure, talk sure. really fast. I wanted to stop at a certain point, okay? Because you had yeah. mentioned the word readiness. So talk a little bit more about readiness because a lot of people may yeah. think I'm ready for a campaign, um, but in reality, they're not from your professional point of view. So talk about readiness. Right. Uh, so that's a great question. And I'll give you an example of someone that I uh, said no to last week. So it was a author, a yoga teacher who's been teaching yoga for, man, he's in his 80s. So he's been teaching and, you know, distilling his wisdom for 40 plus years, which from a, a values alignment standpoint, that looks absolutely perfect. However, when I looked into some of their database, so they had, you know, 500 Facebook fans, they had an email list of like 200 people. They've never ran a digital marketing campaign before. Their revenue from 2019 was under $100,000. So when I looked at some of those statistics and then I saw that they didn't really have anyone inside the organization to help guide this book launch with, I realized that we're not really the best firm for them and they shouldn't do any type of Facebook ads. So I made a- Why, uh, why do you say that? Why do you say that? 
based upon my experience, if a company is bringing in as if they didn't do a hundred thousand dollars in revenue last year, you know, between, uh, let's just say they were doing like 80 or so. So they were bringing in seven K a month. If you factor in our service fee and what an ad spend needs to look like, they're already going to be in the red. And then you factor in, they have to completely hit a home run immediately to stop the bleeding of our service fee and ad spend. So it's going to put them in a really tough spot financially as they don't have the margins built in their business to go through really a 90 day testing process. I always tell people that um, you really need to be flushing out campaigns for 90 days to gather some data, analyze the conversion metrics to determine whether this is an investment to continue to embark upon. Got it. So let me recap what you said. Okay. So what you're saying is in terms of their economics, there's not a whole lot of margin just from their total revenue point of view to not only do the Aspen, but also your service fees, right? So that there's that, but also at the same time, the time budget allowable to do the 90 day experiment as well, because you can't guarantee this would be RI positive campaign in less than 90 days. So you need this 90 days for you to gather the data that you need to tune it to the way that it works. Is that an accurate recap? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the way, what I did is I, and this was uh, to hire us to do a book launch for this author's new book. And so I actually made an introduction to them who helps really set someone up with JV relationships for book launches. So in my opinion, the way we recommend people testing offers in a lot of instances is start with your existing list, but they didn't have a list. So you need to start to build up your JV and affiliate relations and test your offers in that manner. So once you see conversions happening from your affiliates and JVs, the, the next step would be driving cold traffic in through an advertising campaign. That's really a poignant points you just made. I wanted to underline what you just said. So there's a phrase in saying you want to work with people who know, like, and trust you first. Mm -hmm. So your list, your customer list, your prospect list, these are already people who have voted with their wallet that they know, like, and trust you. So in this case, they, they bought your product and services already. Then you brought it up to select partners. In this case, the words you use with JV partners to say, yeah. Hey, this fits our audience. Let's actually partner up to do a JV slash affiliate model. Then you go broadly to cold traffic from Facebook ads. Is that an accurate recap? Correct. Uh, that's, that's in most instances, the progression. Now, if you're a big brand and I, I can give you a, a flip side example, if that works of the conversation I'm actually going to have at three is a very different type of client potentially wanting to work with us. So mm -hmm. I, I know because they filled out the client intake form, they spent $60,000 in Facebook ads in 2019 and they have data. They have a 15,000 person email list. They have over a hundred thousand people on their Instagram page, a Facebook page of over 30,000. So because they have all that data, uh, they have a good asset base they're bringing to us. I can look at their past campaign data and look at all their conversion metrics. I would feel really comfortable of us being able to jump in and outperform whatever agency they decided to release from their contract. 
I see. So it's also availability at the data set Correct. as well. So you can use past data as a way to future project what exactly. you want to do better. Exactly. Got it. Yeah. So I wouldn't recommend to them, you know, test out JVs. You know, you spent $60,000 last year on Facebook ads. You have big data that you're bringing to the table for us to tap into. You know, you're pretty ready to experiment with ads and take it to the next level. So that's one school of thought using ad campaigns as a multiplier of what's already happening, right? Past mm -hmm. data, past trends. Let's actually use this as a way to add more gasoline, add more amplifier, add more multiplier to what you are already doing or doing well. Another school of thought is, hey, I could do it organically, sure, but I want to test really quickly. So I want to use ads as a way to test my audience and my offers. What's your thought on that? You know, I, are you comparing doing an organic strategy versus a paid media buying campaign? Yes. Um, I'm basically trying to see using ads as an amplifier, what's working well already, but mm -hmm. you also have someone, let's say that uh, the yoga teacher that you mentioned, right? Maybe mm -hmm. he wouldn't go all in on launching his books with this, with the ad campaign, but he could potentially use ads as a way to experiment and test the audience as well as the offer that he wants to make as a way to grow his, to get more data, to get more intelligence mm -hmm. on who she should target with who gotcha. is his offer and so forth. Gotcha. From my experience, a lot of this depends on the the makeup of a team and how much they understand the importance of data and what digital marketing really is so i've you know been in client relationships or i've had sales calls with people who they want an immediate return on investment it's like wow. we want to spend three thousand and we expect six thousand to come back in or this is a failure i've had other client relationships where they understand the importance of gathering data and testing and whatnot. And so they're bought into the idea of a testing timeframe in which mm -hmm. they know there's going to be some sunk costs involved mm -hmm. in getting this off the ground. So I would say that's very, that's very per business analysis and contingent on the business mm -hmm. owner, the marketing director they have understanding digital and being able to set expectations well internally with the CFO, the, the CEO of why exactly we want to lose money. Yeah. For okay. a period of time. I see. So from your point of view, in this case, digital marketing as a way to get a lot of data very quickly, in other words. Exactly. And some companies, to be honest, don't care about that. Right. They just want the ROI. Give me, you know, right. here's 3,000, give me six. Right. right. And that's Whatever. not really how this works. <laughs> yeah. How what? That's not really how this works in most instances. Yeah. So, okay. So not to geek out on data and marketing because we can do that all day i'm sure but i want to make it translatable and i want to make it applicable to someone who's listening to this because right now what's happening especially for the uh, consultants especially for the experts in specific space they their business may be may disappear altogether or they now need to look at some other ways to generate income right so how can they use digital marketing as a tactic or as a method to help them 
get more of an audience perspective clients and ultimately clients so then they can okay. get that certainty that then selves and their family requires so there's a a short-term and a long-term outlook on this mm -hmm. and okay. then i'll bring it back to our clients and how some were able to make a quick shift into digital and others were not so mm -hmm. the harsh reality is that if you don't if you didn't have a solid online infrastructure in place before corona uh you're not going to develop everything you need to in 30 days to make mm. something successful. And I'm speaking more like a, you know, sales funnel, Facebook ad style campaign. Yeah. However, so, we have. So let, let's actually just assume that they have nothing. They're starting from zero. What would you say to them? What would you recommend to them? So then, so then they can actually start today, right? The sure. best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The next totally. best time is today. So say they, they didn't do that yet, but let's start them today. So what would you say to them? Sure. So as I think about kind of the progression of someone into uh, digital, there's a lot of layers to that. So I'm operating under the, let's just use a, a example of like, you're a, you're a chiropractor who can't see patients in person right now. Let's just use that as an example. So if you're starting at the very baseline, the, the first thing is really just thinking about your website in terms of some foundation you have to direct people to. If you're a chiropractor, let's also think about, as I'm not set on Facebook ads are the best thing for everyone. And I, I say that because there's some instances where Google ads, if you're going to do a media buying campaign, Google ads are actually a better option. I say that because the psychology of why someone's on Facebook versus Google is very different. You're on Facebook because you're trying to find cute photos of animals, you're stuck in your high school girlfriend or boyfriend, like you have no intention of being on that platform for the eventual offer that's being presented to you. So from a Facebook advertising standpoint, ads are all about a pattern disruptor to, you know, have catchy copy, sleek images, a captivating video to bring someone off of Facebook and into your website as quick as possible. With Google, someone is actively searching for a solution. So you're on Google because your back hurts and you're searching for back pain relief, San Diego. Like you need that solution right now. You're not going to Facebook to try to find that answer. Or if you know you want to find a pizza shop in town, you're going to go to Google and write pizza shops in Cenas, California. So we actually had a client a couple of years ago and we did Facebook. It was a chiropractor and the Facebook ad bombed. Absolutely no results. And we, what we realized was when people have back pain, they want that solution handled that morning. And mm -hmm. so we switched it to a Google AdWords campaign and it, it did really, really well. Mm -hmm. So I want to draw those distinctions of figuring out your offer, what environment is, is best for those people. The second point I want to make is also thinking about your business model and, you know, let's give a different example of say you're. I don't know, you're a uh, executive coach and really your skill set is supporting C-level execs at companies doing 50 million and above with whatever it looks like. Uh, running a Facebook or Google AdWords campaign is a terrible decision that you're not going to get any results with that. So uh, 
I would advise, you know, thinking more in the realm of LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. uh, and that also would really be thinking about, and this is more of a long-term process, was, which is even digital related, is when you're a service model business, a lot of it is about referrals and finding your first client, doing a really great job, developing a case study, and then asking them to make intros for you. So kind of my consensus here is not to be attached to, it's all about Facebook ads, it's all about Google, really think about your business model and where it fits into digital, or even if digital is the best, you know, first strategy to start landing some deals. Mm -hmm. So I heard this metaphor um, saying that Facebook is like, um, about like a party. So it's weird if you go to a party and someone is is saying buy my stuff now, versus Google is where a place uh, people go to find solutions. Versus LinkedIn is more of a networking event, professional networking event. So that way you can kind of think about what what stage of your business are you trying to do? Are are you at? And also what kind of offer do you want to share in front of them? Is that an, an accurate way to think about it from your point of view? Yep, exactly. Beautiful. Okay. So where can we go from here? Right. So say chiropractor, right? I can't service my customer. Actually, I do have friends who are still serving their clients right now because they're considered essential service, right? Pain mm -hmm. relief is essential. So, so they want their business to thrive. So they go to Google, but at the same time, they also wanted to cultivate that trust level, like no like, and trust cultivate that no like, and trust level at Facebook. So what kind of tactical uh, suggestion would you have for them to grow their audience in on Facebook? So this is going to be pretty tactical. Is that okay to get totally? Let's do it. With yeah, let's, let's, let's do it. So one of the things we, we recommend to our clients who, and this is with Facebook, if I, if you don't have a good audience base, like you don't have a big email list, so you can't run ads to your list, you can't create look like audiences, you don't have a good website traffic. So you're kind of coming to the table empty handed. What we recommend doing is using Facebook actually as a engagement mechanism. So there's a couple of things you could do. We have instances where we'll have our clients write a blog post, for instance, and we'll have the first ad in which it's sending people from Facebook to that blog post. Now, as long as you have what's called a Facebook pixel on that blog post, you can retarget anyone who visits that blog post into, you know, your lead magnet, for instance. Um, that's one thing you can do to provide more educational content up front. The other thing you could do is utilize video within Facebook and almost do you know, a Jeff Walker video series within Facebook. So what you can do is you can run your first uh, ad, which is a Facebook video, and it's really just straight content driven. And you can, just like you can pixel people who visit your website, you can pixel people who watch over a certain percentage of that video and then show them a second video. Mm. and then a third video potentially. So you're conducting a lot of that engagement within Facebook, but you're only sharing subsequent videos with someone who takes the time to watch uh, a certain percentage of other videos. So a great thing to utilize is Facebook Live, for instance, as that first engagement mechanism. 
And then you can say anyone who watches more than 50% of this video, you want to show them a second ad, which could be directing them directly to your offer. It could be another video that's kind of up to the brand and what you want to be testing. I like that. I actually never heard that before. Thank you for sharing that. That's new. You're welcome. Yeah. So let me understand you correctly. I'm do a quick recap, right? So use the pixel as a way to basically opt in. And then now you know who's watched your video and then, then you can follow up with different videos or different kind of content as a way to further and further engage them into the brand, the value, who you are as a personality and then what you stand exactly. for. Is that correct? Yep, exactly. Cool. So let's see. All right. So, so that is also a good way to, to test an audience because you can go really, really broad as a non-specific audience. So you can see who's actually engaging with you. So you can test the who as well as you can also test very quickly the leak magnets that you have, the kind of content that you cover, the kind of topic that you cover. Is that correct? Yep, exactly. Beautiful. Okay. So, so th that's a way to generate a, in an audience size and then, then hopefully to garner more and more of an email asset that you have, right? So you can yeah. run offers to them. Exactly. Has, we call that top of funnel. So mm -hmm. that's why I'm so big about the data you bring to the table to potentially work with us. Because if you have an email list of past buyers, mm -hmm. say it's 500 past buyers of a, a specific product, we can take that past buyers list, upload that to Facebook. And then Facebook will say, here's 2 million people who match the same demographic and psychographic information as people have already purchased from you in the past. So it's a really great way to hone in on your avatar. And Facebook does a lot of the legwork for you. So there, Facebook's just saying, here's 2 million people just like the people who have already purchased from you. So that's an amazing data set that you can leverage. And, you know, you think about that for everything. Like you can, if you segment out your list, we, we are going to be a part of a launch for a book writing course. And so the company had about 350,000 people. Mm. Um, however, they have it segmented out in various different niches. So for each niche, that means we can write copy and we can create graphics and do videos that speak directly uh, to that audience. So they have like the, they call it the woo woo uh, part of their database. It's 50,000 people, let's say. And so those people have a very different reasoning for wanting to write a book. Their reasoning is like, uh, I had some spiritual awakening and now I need to share this message with the world. So mm -hmm. you speak to them significantly differently versus another part of their database which is entrepreneurs and executives who want to share their business expertise. So mm. like that type of person isn't writing a book because they had some spiritual awakening and now they can talk to God. Mm. Uh, like they, they've been there, they've done it, they're successful and they want to share that wisdom with other people. So you mm. can communicate with them radically different. And then even thinking that in terms of the audiences you can tap into when we create look like audiences, against that kind of woo-woo spiritual list, that's one bucket of audiences. And then with the business people, we'll create another bucket of audiences of people just like them. 
mm -hmm. to run ads to. So it can get really powerful if you have a big list and you can segment it out based upon who they are and then speak to them differently. Okay. So bringing back to that person who's starting from scratch, right? So they're at this time, they don't, they have, they didn't plant that tree 20 years ago and they're planting it today. So mm -hmm. they have a lot of different options. They can do organic posting, right? themselves, they can see what kind of podcast they can get on leveraging other people's platform. Another way to do it. They can run Facebook ads or some kind of uh, digital marketing ads, Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, or they can possibly acquire uh, lists from other people and so forth. Out of all these options, what is your rubric in terms of, you know, what would you recommend this person right. to do? So even before that, I think they should be thinking about a couple of other things. And I say that because Corona is impacting some businesses in a way that they're never going to recover and they're going to go out of business. So I think you need to give yourself and your business a really honest look before you invest all this time and energy in digital of like, what is actually the state of my business? So I'll give an example of this restaurant uh, that I, I was told about through a mentor of mine that he coaches in which this restaurant had, I think it was 16 different restaurants this guy owned, I guess kind of franchise model-esque, was bringing in about $2 million per month. And so he had to lay off every single one of his employees. And he's applying for PPP and is going to take out about a million dollar loan through that. So for him, there's absolutely no point of him trying to do any type of digital <laughs> campaign right now. Like he just needs to kind of ride this out and, you know, he's going to take on the big loan, hire a lot of the people back and start from scratch in a, in a, a lot of ways. So I think that's the first thing, like truly look at how is your business impacted by Corona? Is it something that is going to come back fine? Is it just totally effed right now? Just being totally honest. And I don't, that, I think that's a business owner decision to give that honest assessment. But if you give yourself the assessment of, you know, this is going to suck for a couple of months, but I think we can rebound. And I think digital is a way to embark upon that path. Like for instance, I know of a, a separate company, their leadership training program, they can't do any live events for their foreseeable future. So they're going to be shifting their business model and creating online courses for people. Like that's, that's a shift that's manageable in my opinion. And so that that's a starting point. And then I think it comes back to our conversation before, and let me know if this is answering your question of really understanding your business model and where your potential clients are hanging out and then figuring out the best digital game plan. And once again, I'm not saying that's always going to be Facebook ads. It could be diving into affiliate relationships. It could be if you're more of like an executive coach, tapping to LinkedIn, building up your referral base. That's the way I'd go about thinking about this. And I don't mm. think digital is the end all be all for all businesses all the time. Mm. So start with an end in mind to, and then you didn't say this, but I want to drill in on this. This is my interpretation. Really understand what the currency of your business is. And then if that currency can be translated or distributed via a virtualization format. Right. Restaurant is very difficult to give your food, <laughs> your nutrition right. in, a, in a virtual way. But if your currency is insights and know-how and clarity, 
then you can translate that from a, a live event to a course, a synchronous versus asynchronous delivery. Is that correct? Yeah. And I can give you an example of one of our clients who's making that shift. So he, he does coaching for musicians. And so normally he does big mastermind groups, four-year commitments, like typical mastermind groups. And the way he uh, normally brings in his clients is through a May event which obviously can't happen. Uh, so he's pivoting his model to doing group coaching programs and one-on-one -on -one coaching for people instead of his normal mastermind uh, way about going business. So he pivoted very quickly and he has a model that probably could survive all this if he acts quickly. We have another client of ours who- Why do you say uh, that? Why, why if he asks it quickly? Why do you say that? Because uh, you only have so much cash in the bank. I see. Runway. Got it. Okay. Right, right. He has only so much of a runway until like right. revenue needs to be coming in. We have another one of our clients who does uh, couples retreats. Uh, very similar kind of situation. You know, you can't do in-person couple retreats for the foreseeable future. So she's shifting her model. I, I learned this morning very quickly into organizing some type of, you know, coaching program, like a three to six month commitment instead of a weekend immersion with her. I'm still not clear on the details, but she has a big enough business that she has the resources to pivot. And she acted pretty quickly to get this new model up and moving. Hmm. So it's, it's possible. Both of them have been in the digital space for three plus years. So they had a solid foundation. And I think that's the point of like, it's really just about them recognizing their business model is kind of aft at the moment and pivoting and shifting as quickly as possible to replace that revenue. Have you seen a trend where any particular adaptation is particularly, you know, thriving? The mastermind, the group coaching, the one-on-one -on -one, or anything specific that just like, hey, this thing is a new trend where everyone is going this direction, anything like that? You know, I'd... I'm waiting to see how those two offers play out. What we've been advising our clients, and I think they're in a different spot where they really need to replace a lot of revenue. We're advising a lot of our other clients at the moment because right now uh, costs to advertise on Facebook are really at all-time lows. The reason being is that there's less competition, just literally speaking, uh, there's less businesses advertising online. so that factor and we're all locked inside of our bedrooms it's nothing to do but stare at our cell phones so those two have created this storm of what we call cost per impressions are at all-time low levels uh right now so that presented an opportunity right correct and so uh to answer your question sorry i paused for a second is i uh, we're recommending a lot of our clients to shift if they are sturdy with their business model and offering more low-end products for the time being stuff that's going to be two hundred dollars or under and really focus in on list building offering lower tier products and in the same way if your service model business right now honing in on your existing customers making sure that they're happy really making sure their existing communities are you know seen and heard and taken care of in this moment and introducing just offers that don't have the the price point barrier to still access a lot of this information. Yeah. 
what you just said in that last sentence actually very simple but very important and very profound i want it's worth repeating your so if you think about know like and trust your existing top customers already trust you so that's your top relationships now is the time to really cultivate that relationship and make sure that they feel taken care of versus okay. once that's settled then you can offer as you mentioned earlier lower price point products to really take care of people who may not necessarily know you as much and then then right. and that would separate you from the rest of your competition because everyone's contracting this is the time if you're able to grow your influence grow your leadership grow your listening as a leader in your industry yeah yeah exactly and uh I'll give another example of our client who shifted his positioning. He offers a group and one-on-one, -on -one, more or less you could call it sales training for coaches. And so his, his before was much more around how to build and grow your coaching practice. His messaging now is much more of uh, how do you crisis proof your business? Mm -hmm. So people their mindset right now may not be as aggressive. Like I'm growing and I'm scaling. It's like, I just need to preserve what I have and get through this. So that's, he shifted up his positioning and that's how he pivoted, you know, his offer to the market right now. Yeah. If you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you got physiology, security, love and connection, self-esteem and self-actualization, and then self-transcendence in the good times is more about aspirational. I want to grow, right. I want to transcend, I want to contribute at time of scarcity is more about in the base level of this massive hierarchy of needs. Yeah. How, how do I heighten my security in everything that I do? So definitely into that point, a very important one. Beautiful, my friend. I know you have to go very soon, so let's do some rapid fires, shall we? Yeah, yeah. Cool. So. So we had basically focused our entire conversation on the outer game around marketing, geeking out and all these things. So in terms of managing one's internal space, your internal sense of centeredness and groundedness and security, do you have any tactical ways? Because I'm sure as, as someone who is here to help, you have a lot of business owners coming to you to get that sense of certainty. In mm -hmm. addition to helping them with their marketing, is there anything else that you observe or you recommend or your advice to them such that they can ground themselves mm -hmm. before they make any kind of critical rash decisions? Yeah, I, uh, I try not to play therapist to, to clients, but I'll, I'll share what I do that allows me to stay. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so for me, I, I would say that the key component to everything for me is fitness and working out. I'm a big believer in working out in the morning. So it's been going on for probably three, four years now of working out right when I wake up. And I think that goes just to being adaptable to the situations. Obviously, my gym's closed right now. So I'm using Beachbody. I'm not ashamed to admit it. Working out in my uh, garage to Tony Horton. They have some amazing 20, 30 minute just no weight workouts. And I love it. I gets my heart rate moving. I'm sweating within five minutes, completely gassed. That always primes me for the day. Do you do it every day? Uh, yeah. I, yeah. in the last three, I, I don't remember when I started this practice, but it's been maybe once a quarter, I don't work out 
Monday to Friday. It's very, very rare. It doesn't happen. I usually either need to be, it's either because I'm sick or I'm burnt out because I've been working out too much. And I, my body just is saying no at that morning. Okay. So is this uh, exercise, anything else, nutritionally, meditation, anything else that you do to, I, yeah, I, uh, I've actually developed a better meditation habit now that I'm quarantined in my home. Previously, I would go to the gym and then I would shower and get to my office space and I would miss my morning meditations a lot. So I'm actually meditating uh, a lot more. I use the Vishen Lakhiani six phase meditation. I've loved that for years. Something that I've not been consistent on is breath work. I was in a habit for about three months of doing breath work every night before I went to sleep and it really helped me chill the, the F up or F out. Don't know if I can swear on this, so I'll just use that. I That's that's something I found really beneficial to have a, a practice of winding down. I do my Brendan Burchard journal at night to kind of recap how the day was going. I do this in the morning too, and that allows me to, to chill out. I wouldn't say I definitely more on the plant-based side of the equation for my nutrition. I'm probably not the best reflection of what uh, amazing nutrition would look like, but it's pretty much a, a plant based focused diet with meat thrown in every once in a while. It just mm. what feels good for me. Anything else you do to ground yourself, to center yourself in this crazy time? You know, I'm always seeking inspiration. And so before we turned on the podcast, we were talking about Aubrey Marcus. So mm. there are certain people, thought leaders, influencers, whatever you want to call them, who I look to for inspiration. So I try to, in my downtime, I'm continuously listening to podcasts, reading. I've been learning to teach myself how to code uh, HTML, which actually has been really refreshing mm. at night. Too. So I would say mm. for me, yeah, seeking inspiration and just making sure I have hobbies to do outside of just work. So Aubrey Marcus, HTML, any other specific books or podcasts you would send them to? Uh, I love Lewis House and the School of Greatness. Um, mm -hmm. I love Tom. I'm going to butcher his last name, but from Impact Theory, mm -hmm. uh, I always say his name incorrectly, so I'm not even going to try. I love David Goggins. I love Jocko. Uh, a lot of times, like there's, like when I'm listening to David Goggins, that's because like I have really low energy and I really need an infusion of adrenaline. As he's like, he's so freaking intense. Same with Jocko. He has that same vibe. Uh, Lewis and Aubrey are, are much ch more chill and calm. Mm -hmm. The way I, I, I would articulate this is if you look at the yin-yang sign, mm -hmm. David Goggins, Jocko, yang all the way, right? Versus uh, Aubrey and Lewis Howe, probably somewhere in the middle or somewhere towards, towards the feminine a little bit. Totally. So the clear contrast, I think for us is to look at what emotionality that we are craving, and then that could be a much more energizing or activation to the emotionality that we're going after. Yeah. When I need to get shit done, it's all about Goggins and uh, Jocko. But when mm -hmm. I just want to contemplate life and mm -hmm. learn about myself, it's more about like the rich role, Lewis Howes, Aubrey Marcus. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And what about socially and relationally? Do you have any specific rituals to put yourself in counsel or advisory or mastermind type of conversation? Mm -hmm. I'm a part of a business mastermind, which has still been functioning in terms of social dynamics. You know, it's a little bit harder right now. I would say what it's 
put me in a position too is that I'm very intentional about the people who I'm still communicating with and having structured phone calls to stay in touch with. And I actually like that better in a way is I, I would say the one of the biggest realizations I've had is how much FOMO drives my life and mm-hmm. how many, you know, new moon parties I've been to that I'd rather not <laughs> ever go to. And the amount of just things I put on my plate out of a, a feeling of obligation and necessity and and, and really just being reflective of who are the people in my life where I feel better after my interactions and conversations with them. And that's the type of people I've been honing in on right now. Mm. Would you call yourself an extrovert or introvert? I'm definitely an introvert. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, I Everything you said, I'm like, hmm, I, can, I can definitely relate to what you're saying. <laughs> There's an internet meme of saying, Hey, my normal lifestyle, everyone calls it quarantine. And I thought that was really funny because that's the way I relate to that. So, yeah, that's been I, my big reflection too. Yeah. So we, we talk a lot about different things. We talked about marketing tactics. We talked about growing an audience from scratch. We talked a little bit about your personal rituals out of mm-hmm. everything that we had talked about. What's one thing you want them to leave with? If, if they can just remember one thing, what do you want them to leave with? Mm-hmm. So I was re-listening to uh, a couple weeks ago, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And funny enough, yesterday I, I was texting about it and then I heard Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning brought up in two different podcasts I was listening to yesterday. And it wasn't a Facebook ad, so they weren't, weren't listening to me. It wasn't an ad. It was like a genuine podcast. They brought up his name. And what I love about that story is... And that's in such an extreme situation of you always have the ability to dictate your reaction to your circumstances and situations. And that's always, that's always really wrong true for me. And I think right now is we're not in concentration camps, obviously, but it's a extreme situation for most people. And the only thing you can control is your reaction to what's happening. And I think that's a lot of putting the power back in your and your shoes of that's what you can control. So understand that and move forward. Yeah, absolutely. I love the way how I can't remember exactly. I believe it was a Ted talk. It says responsibility could be break broken down to responsibility. You know, it's mm-hmm. our human, what's unique to human beings is our ability to respond in spite of any kind of circumstance that we are in, we can relate to this as a, as a tragic event, which it is, but we can also relate to this as a hidden blessing. There's a hidden blessing and then silver lining behind all of this. And I hope that people who are listening to this particular podcast, Noble Warrior can not just own their emotions, whatever sadness or guilt or anger, whatever emotions are going through at the same time, also look at what are some of the growth opportunities, the blessing, the hidden opportunities are there. So exactly. thank you so much for being here. I know that you got to go. So I'll, I'll res- respectfully sh- cut our interview short, but hopefully we can do this again and share more of your wisdom and tactical suggestions to our listeners. Thank you, Andrew, yeah, for being I'd here. Love to. Thank you for having me on.